ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाया I bow to the Lord Vasudeva I bow to God in you and in all things You know a guru is not just a human being well you know that but he's really God himself to the extent that <coughs> It's God who comes to us in that form. It's a great mystery because of course he's a human being and he's not something that has been sort of poof manifested by God. He is a soul that has evolved over a period of time, gone through all our struggles, gone through our ups and downs, learned the same basic lessons until finally he discovered that it was not the ego that was doing anything. God manifested himself as that form as he did your form as he did this form as he did all forms like the ocean producing all the waves on the ocean and so the guru really he there is no sense of self or separateness from god he's become the ocean again it's god manifesting through him but not like an automaton there is also even in the most uh, even in a liberated guru there is still the memory of all that he had to go through and that memory includes having his own disciples and they are not his disciples in the sense that as my guru said they are god's disciples at the same time that particular manifestation of god has a sense of responsibility for the disciples and that sense of responsibility is a very intimate very profound long term eternal in fact soul connection far more than most people can possibly realize when the guru gives you as my guru gave to me his unconditional love Well in a sense he gives his unconditional love to every rock but there's something more when he makes that promise it means a commitment a commitment to see you through all your ups and downs until you find your freedom also his goal is to make you one with him is not to keep you below him it's to make you to transmit to you that freedom which he achieved So you must understand that that relationship is a very close one in the sense that he never loses sight of you really he may lose sight of you outwardly for even as he put it in in one disciple's case a few incarnations but it's always there he's always um waiting for the time when he can help you again that bond is eternal and that is something for worldly relationships worldly consciousness it's a little hard to understand 
So you come to somebody whom you haven't seen for years, and you say, do you remember me? That really wasn't the problem with the great guru, with our great guru. He knew all of us intimately from inside. There's a very interesting and, in fact, quite touching story. It's in this book that I wrote called Conversations with Yogananda. I remember an episode involving Oliver Rogers, a disciple about 55 years old, well past the age of most of us, who came as a disciple about a year after I did. Rogers, as the Master called him, said to him one day, I heard you many years ago, Master, in Boston's Symphony Hall. Something impressed me particularly that day. In that full auditorium, you kept your gaze fixed on me. Well, you see, the Master had recognized in this one particular person out of many, many hundreds. I don't know how many people Symphony Hall holds, but having been there, I would remember probably a thousand, certainly many hundreds. Out of all those people, Master saw and specially recognized one, a recognition of the soul from other incarnations. When he said, you kept your gaze fixed on me, the Master answered quietly, I remember. It had taken his disciple all these years to come. Rogers added, during all that time, I never forgot you. I kept wondering where you were and asking about you. How wonderful it is to have found you at last. It is so beautiful to think of the relationship of the guru with the disciple. It is not a relationship of discipline and sternness and hard lessons and so on. It's a relation of eternal friendship, a friendship which is much dearer than any other kind of friendship you can form. Friends are not to be compared. Parents are not to be compared. You know, if the child of parents dies and were by chance to be reborn next door, would they recognize him? I doubt it, unless they're quite advanced. Would they give him the same attention, affection, and so on? No, they wouldn't. They'd treat him like a stranger's child, the same one that they gave so much love to when he was their own. That sense of possession is so much a part of human love. A mother's love is unconditional up to a point, but it is somehow, it cannot easily survive the cataclysm of death, the separation that occurs. The Guru's love is there. We read an autobiography of a yogi when Lahiri Mahoshai met Babaji, his guru, and he didn't remember Babaji at first. The mists of time had sort of dimmed that memory. And then Babaji touched him on the forehead and suddenly he remembered. Now, mind you, a great master like Lahiri Mahoshai, it's different in his case because, yes, he could remember instantly why would he forget in the first place? He was really an avatar. That means to say he was born liberated. I asked my master once, because I was thinking of one of his lives in which he had been um, 
not, uh, uh, his role was not spiritual. He was certainly spiritual inside. But he had a particular role to play on the political scene of this world, as great liberated masters do. Unlike saints that are trying to achieve their liberation, having achieved it, then if they choose to come back into this world, they may assume different roles. But I asked Master, because it was inconceivable to me that in that role he would be in cosmic consciousness. I asked him, does a liberated master, when he comes into another kind of role, maintain his cosmic consciousness? Master's answer was very interesting. He said, you never forget that you are inwardly free. Of course you can't have cosmic consciousness. Lahiri Mahashai, had he had cosmic consciousness, had he been in samadhi, why would he have gone through the role that he had to go through in this life, that is to say the life that he lived in the 19th century, I'm calling it this life, but he died a long time ago. In order to fulfill that role, go through his childhood, get his education, get married, have children, get a job. All those things he had to assume in order to set the model for others <coughs> that even householders can be total renunciates in their hearts. That's what counts, not your outward garb, but how free you are inside. And so he took up that role to set an example to others of freedom in the world, but not being of the world. And, uh, but could he have done that in cosmic consciousness? Well, I don't think so. In cosmic consciousness, there is, uh, um, you don't come down to the human level in that way. So he had that consciousness of inner freedom. Even as a little child, he used to sit deep in meditation and have great visions and so on. But he had to preserve that little touch of ego. Mind you, the ego is never destroyed. Nothing is destroyed in God. But it's exalted to the point where it becomes more like a memory. You revive that memory. And if you need to, as an avatar, as a freed soul, if you need to revive that memory, so you live for a while in that. You accept in yourself that certain veil of delusion in order to do that job. But it would be a it would be somehow wrong if you somehow slipped into delusion. Lahiri Mahashai never did. No great freed master ever does become deluded. And that was therefore a beautiful answer that my guru gave me, that you never lose your sense of inner freedom. Now with that sense of inner freedom, as my guruji once, when he was just a boy, he was a liberated soul from many lifetimes ago. He told us that. And uh, yet, as a little boy, he had to go through all the experiences. Partly a master goes through that so that his disciples won't think, well, we don't meditate. Our path is just being there. No. They meditate more than the rest of us can, a hundred times more, in order to inspire us to do likewise. Saints that have not gone through that kind of heavy sadhana, 
don't set that kind of example. And so usually, though not necessarily, you can't force God into any kind of an enclosure and say, this is how all masters must behave. But usually, if they have a public role to play and have to set an example to others as to how to seek God, then they will uh, go through the process of meditation and intense sadhana and so on. We see it also in the life of Ramakrishna. What he went through, almost nobody could go through. What my guru went through, almost nobody could go through. It would take enormous energy, enormous devotion to be able to go through it. But he had that consciousness. One time when he was a boy still in school, he wrote a note to the boy sitting next to him, and the note said, I am your guru. The boy looked at him disapprovingly, shook his head. He said, bad boy. Well, that night, the boy had a vision in which he saw that, in fact, it was true that Mukunda, as my guru was called when he was a boy, was, in fact, his guru. Well, then you see there's always a divine play in this. He came rushing to school, wanting to find him, and my guru hid from him. So it is, too, that uh, when, we, when God wants to call us to him, he pulls us a little bit. Often people on the spiritual path, when they're new, have all kinds of experiences. But once you've got an idea, got a taste of what lies ahead of you on the spiritual path, then comes the middle ground where you have to work for it. And this case, too, was similar in the sense that the boy had to work for it, and so my guru hid from him, and then they came together again. But it's all a part of the divine play, and honestly, God has lots of fun through us. We have to understand that he is enjoying himself through many. He enjoys the divine play. Several times I heard my guru describing the relationship of the guru and the disciples, not just himself, but other gurus. And he would say with a little chuckle, well, they were playing. Well, that's really what it is. We shouldn't take it too seriously. That is to say, obviously, you want to take the truth seriously. But you must understand that the truth itself sometimes is playful. And so let your seriousness include a good dose of laughter a good dose of joy. Remember that the spiritual path should be fun. Still, to come back to what we were just reading, <coughs> it is so wonderful to see that that memory of the guru, he never loses touch with you. You may lose touch with him. He's always there. You know, when I read my guru's autobiography of a yogi, I was a little impatient when I saw that it was dedicated to Luther Burbank, an American saint, I thought. American saint, how can there be such a thing? I had grown up in the world of big business, which was not my world, but I, I thought America is so materialistic, I didn't want anything to do with it. I thought to go to South America and become a hermit, I even thought of coming to India, uh, but I didn't know anything about India, and I didn't know anything about South America. It just was that I, I couldn't imagine uh, a saint in America. Well, God is everywhere. Why shouldn't his saints be everywhere? 
Luther Burbank really was a very great soul. But I, I bought the Bhagavad Gita that day, and I went back. I was staying in Scarsdale. And uh, then I came back to the city a few days later, and uh, I thought again of that autobiography of a yogi. There was a strange compulsion to buy it. And I decided, no, I'm too intellectual. I've done too much reading. I've got to save money. I want to give my life to meditating and being in seclusion. I must, I must uh, think that way now. And so I decided I wouldn't buy it. Well, I'm saying this because literally I felt when I got to the corner, I was going to cross the street to go downtown, and I got to the corner, I felt an actual power turning my body left to walk to Fifth Avenue where I had seen that book and buy that book. My guru was there. I didn't see him, but he saw me. And it was all one, it's Divine Mother, really. When he saw me, he said, Divine Mother told me to see you. Remember, God never loses sight of you, even though you lose sight of him. This is the spiritual path. Your eternal friend is in your own deeper self. Joy to you. Mother of wisdom, mercy and grace, grant us thy vision, grant us thy peace. I love receive. Turn!